Good afternoon. I'm Tim Swindle, director of the Lunar and Planetary Laboratory at the University of Arizona, and this is Arizona Science. Joining me today for a conversation about Mars and cameras around planets is Alfred McEwen, a professor of planetary science here at the University of Arizona. Alfred, thanks for coming in and sharing your research. Well, thanks for inviting me. Now, you are the principal investigator on the high-rise camera. Explain what high-rise means and what that camera is. Okay, that stands for the High Resolution Imaging Science Experiment. It's a big digital camera that's been going in circles around Mars for 10 years now, actually, on Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. And we take the highest resolution images from orbit of the surface of Mars down to about 30 centimeters or a foot per pixel resolution or scale. Can you put that in context? What size object can you resolve? Could you resolve a desk, for example? We could resolve a desk, and JPL has tried uh, washing machines and basketballs. That was too small. And, uh, but that meter-scale objects, we resolve well. And we can detect smaller objects if they're linear or bright or things like that. And how do you decide what place on Mars you're going to point at? How's the decision made? Right. We have an elaborate process where we put in wish list targets well in advance, and then we have science team members who prioritize those. Then we have for each two-week planning cycle a science lead who prioritizes even further, and then we find out what's actually viewable, what the geometry is, make final decisions. So we have an elaborate process we go through to pick uh, our targets because we can only cover very small areas at the surface. After 10 years, what fraction of the surface of Mars have you covered? So MRO has the highest data rate of any mission to another planet, not counting the moon. Uh, Huge data rate, up to 6 megabits per second at the peak uh, closest approach. And with all that data, we've covered 2.5% of Mars. If it was all unique coverage, in fact, it isn't because we do repeat coverage for stereo and change detection. So we need a couple hundred years more. How much longer do you think MRO is going to last? MRO has enough fuel for another 20 years in in the low orbit. Uh, However, things break. Uh, There are moving parts, gimbals that break. Uh, Electronic parts can fail. So we don't really know. And what comes after MRO? Do you know what's the next camera for Mars? There's one on its way to Mars now called the CASIS, the Color and Stereo Surface Imaging System on the ExoMars Trace Gas Orbiter. That's a color camera, not the same resolution, lower resolution, but all color and a very nice camera in a different orbit as well. That arrives this fall at Mars. After that, for high-resolution imaging, NASA is talking about a a next orbiter sometime in the, they hope, early 2020s that might be, have a real successor to high-rise in terms of high-resolution. So in 10 years of images from high-rise and other data from MRO, how has Mars changed in your, in the Mars of your mind? Right. So we've got over a thousand publications based on high rise, so there's a lot to cover there. But one of the areas that I think has really changed uh, the perception a great deal is modern Mars. Prior to MRO, we knew that dust blew around and, and there was frost that came and went. Uh, but that was about all we knew. Now we know that there are active gullies forming, that the sand dunes that we didn't know if they were active or not are moving. There are avalanches, and there are these seasonal flows called recurring slope lineae that involve water in some way. So there's a lot of activity that we didn't know about before. It's not a dead planet. Does Mars look more or less like a planet that we should be sending astronauts to, in your opinion? 
a high priority for high-rise has been to both find and characterize future landing sites. So find the scientifically interesting areas and then get the high-resolution stereo coverage to really understand the surface uh, morphology and roughness and so forth at the meter scale to figure out whether it's safe to land and whether rovers can traverse and go where they want to go on the surface. So that has been a major activity that's ongoing. In fact, there seem to be more and more landing site studies to... Uh, to complete. More and more we're coming to realize it's really an alien environment. It's not like Earth. It's deceptive. It looks much more Earth-like than it really is. That's my personal opinion. Are you able to see the landing sites of previous missions? We certainly see previous mission landing sites, the ones we, where we know that they landed. So we've seen the Viking landers, for example. Viking Lander 1 had its 40-year uh, anniversary of the landing, uh, July 20th, uh, Hard to believe, 40 years, but also for the Phoenix mission, we that was the first landing site we characterized prior to landing, and we've uh, been monitoring it since then. Pathfinder, we haven't found Mars Polar Lander, which was lost. We, did, we do think we found the Beagle 2 Lander, which was also lost. I'm Tim Swindle, director of the University of Arizona's Lunar and Planetary Laboratory, and this has been Arizona Science. You can hear this and other Arizona science conversations by going to the Arizona Public Media website at azpm.org.